Amen. Well, I love that song. And I think it's not only appropriate for our message today, but in light of the tragedy in Connecticut on Friday, it's particularly relevant because it says no matter what we're going through, he's always there for those who follow him, for those who have a relationship with them. He's there yesterday and today and tomorrow offering peace and joy because he loves us and never abandons us. That's true even in death. We see it in the word. Death isn't as much of an ending as it is a beginning for those that love him. Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we do well to remember that even in the midst of tragedy, he's always with us. It, of course, doesn't mean we don't hurt. Of course we do. We still grieve. We still shed tears. But the Bible says that there will come a day when you'll wipe away every tear. When you'll heal every wound. And I think that that song says it so well that even in the darkest night, he was there. We've been working through a series entitled God Revealed. And last week, we talked about God revealed in us as the blessed hope. Our hope. And the hope of the world. One of the verses that we read was Romans fifteen thirteen, which says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I mentioned last week that we would look at this verse again today because the association between hope and joy and peace are so close. And we won't really get into talking about peace today for time's sake. We'll save that for another sermon. But I do want to talk about God revealed in us as our joy. Okay? And the fact that joy, true joy, is so closely tied to hope, it's very natural that a teaching about hope would lead right into a message on joy. And I think it's a very timely topic for this Advent season, for um, Christmas time. So many are without true joy during the holidays. And of course, again, in the context of, of the violence in Connecticut, it just highlights the fact that our world is in such desperate need for a Savior. There's so much depravity and hopelessness in this world, but we have the cure living inside of us, and it's the source of true joy. For many people, Christmas is a happy time, right? It's fun to be with family and friends and celebrate the birth of Christ and exchanging presents and big meals and all the rest of the stuff that we do. It's a lot of fun, but for some, they're reminded of all the things they don't have or about loved ones that they've lost and won't be with for the holidays. I can't imagine how tough it's going to be for the families of all the victims in Newtown, Connecticut, each Christmas season from now on being reminded of what's been taken from them. But the hope of Christ, by the hope of Christ, there's joy and peace available to us, even in the face of horrendous tragedy. And certainly, if these families are ever to have joy and peace in their lives again, I believe that will only come through the Holy Spirit of God, bringing joy and peace that Paul says in Philippians, passes all understanding. And he goes on to say that that peace, that same peace, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus because he is the only true hope for this world, okay? Even maybe on a lesser scale, I've known folks who don't look forward to the holidays because of the difficult circumstances of their lives are magnified for them during those times when families and friends generally come together, when, when everyone around them is celebrating their family and their friendships, giving and receiving, they are without their family, or they have no means to give and no one to receive from. And so it's not uncommon for people who find themselves in that situation to push others away 
and even alienate themselves from other relationships because whether they realize it or not, they're trying to protect themselves from further hurt and disappointment. People in that predicament often become bitter and quite frankly, they can be hard to love. I know people like that and you probably do too. And that's understandable. Everybody has ups and downs, right? We all have good days and bad days and life events, particularly these cataclysmic events in life, devastations, death, separation, rejection, all of these things, those experiences can sear into our minds and our hearts memories and feelings that work to steal away our joy. This is one of the reasons that it's so important that we have true joy in our lives. It's not only for our benefit, but it's to demonstrate to a hurting world that we, Christians, have a joy that resides in us that is sustainable by something other than circumstances. And yet at the same time, we have to be sensitive to other people's hurt and even bitterness because Jesus came to heal the broken. And now he wants to use us to help accomplish that. So we need to remain aware as Christians. We need to remain sensitive to why people feel the way they do when they seem to lack true joy in their lives rather than just writing them off as a Scrooge or a killjoy. If you think about it, most of us can probably assign our bad feelings to an event or a circumstance or a relationship that went bad, right? After that, we have a choice to overcome those bad feelings by the one who gives us true joy or we can wallow in our own hurt until it ruins some aspect of our lives. And that can be other relationships. It can be our health. It can be our outlook on other parts of life. It can be a season like Christmas that's supposed to be a wonderful time of expectation and anticipation. I've certainly had experiences and relationships in my life that took a wrong turn. And I've had to fight my own human tendencies in order that I wouldn't become bitter about those events or those people who had hurt me. And I'm certain that along the way, I've also done my share of wounding other people. The key, in addition to repentance when appropriate, is to focus on the source, not the circumstance. The source of joy and not the painful circumstance. Focus on the one who gives us life, not the one who's trying to ruin it. Okay, are you with me? In all situations that we face, it is imperative to our joy that we focus on the one who gives us life, not the one who's trying to ruin it. Whether that's the devil or your next door neighbor. Maybe your next door neighbor is the devil. I don't know. If it's your boss giving you a hard time, whoever's complicating your life, keep your focus on Jesus Christ and not the circumstance, and he will give you joy in the midst of your circumstance. I've told you a bit about our first winter in Alaska. It was full of ups and downs, exciting in many ways and, and very trying in others. We had a wonderful church. We had the best friends. I loved the ministry there, but at the same time, we had to make major adjustments to our standard of living. We had to make major adjustments in relationships, saying goodbye to all of our family and our friends, and then having to make new ones in a culture that's a bit different. We had to make major adjustments to our environment, and not all of that was easy. In Alaska, when you buy a car, you have to have it winterized, which, among other things, means they take these heaters and they attach them under the hood to your engine block and your oil pan and your battery compartment and your transmission, and then there's a cord that runs out through the grill of your car with a plug on the end of it, an electrical cord. It looks ridiculous. And you have to plug in your car 
when you stop, if it's going to be sitting outside for any amount of time without running, and those heaters heat up, and it keeps everything from freezing. If you're from a northern state, you'd already know about all this. So like when you go to Walmart, the parking spaces have poles with electrical outlets on them. So when you pull up, you plug in your car, and you go into shop, and you unplug it when you come out. I mean, that's, that's it's insane. Well, I left my car unplugged one night outside because I forgot I was supposed to plug it in. You know, it's 40, 50 below zero. So the next day, after a lot of work to get it started, which I found out later was not a good idea, <laughs> grinding it to get it started, I back up out of the parking space, and there's a pool of oil under my car. Some seal had frozen and broke during the night, so we had to have that fixed. Um, the, the piano, there's a grand piano inside the church, a big, beautiful grand piano, not an electronic keyboard. It had to have humidifiers installed inside of it because it's such a dry climate. Everything dries out. And so every couple days, you have to take this special jug of water and pull this hose out from under this piano and pour the water in and then blow into the hose to force the water down into the humidifier. And I found out the hard way, if you don't do that when you're supposed to, all the keys on the piano lay down flat and you can't play it. So you have to rehydrate it, right? I already told you about wrecking both of our cars on the same day at the same time. Not some of my happier days in Alaska. And then there was a period of time there when I, we had all of these pastors on staff at this church, and they all left, and I was alone. I told you about that. There was some administrative staff, but I was the only pastor there. And during that time, all of the pastoral duties rested on my shoulders. And so one of the things that we had to do, all of the pastors every week during the winter, would, we would go outside and shovel snow. Big parking lot. is a big church. And so the guy that plowed the parking lot couldn't plow the sidewalks. So we'd have to push the snow off the sidewalks and then push it away from the sidewalk so he could plow it along. And it's not like if you think of snow here, like you just take a shovel and push it. I mean, <laughs> you shovel it and then you shovel it and then you shovel it and you shovel it and you shovel it to get one strip clear because it's so deep. And then you got to pile it up and it's a lot of work. So we would all go out, the pastoral staff, particularly on days when there were services when people would be coming in and we'd shovel the snow. And every Tuesday, the elderly ladies, the senior ladies in our church would have a lunch a luncheon at the church every Tuesday. So we definitely had to have it shoveled for them when they would come. And then all these guys left, and I was there alone. <laughs> and I was out there one day, one of the first couple of Tuesdays by myself, shoveling snow, and it took me a long time, and it was a lot of work. You know, and you start sweating, and it's 40 below, and it's really not a fun situation. And I got done, and I came in, and this is amidst everything else I was doing at the church. And the ladies come into the, to this room where they would meet, and it was on the other side of the wall from my office. So I could hear everything they were saying. <laughs> And they were complaining about the job that was done, the snow shoveling job. And they were really not happy at all about the way I did it. And one of them said, I am going to tell them I'm not coming back to this church until they learn to do that right. And I remember sitting there in my office for a moment. And I thought, how ungrateful are these people? All week long, I counsel people. I do hospital visitations and pray with people, some of these same seniors. I'm doing baby dedications and weddings and baptisms and counseling several nights a week and special services. I'm in my office seven nights a week, well past midnight, many nights. I'm leading worship and I'm preaching every week. I'm doing everything. Rehearsals in the evenings. On top of all that, I go out there during the day by myself. Nobody's offering to help. And I shovel the snow off the sidewalk so these guys can get in the building 
And instead of saying thank you, they complain. And I was ungrateful. I was thinking about how ungrateful they were for about a moment. And then I heard the, the Lord speak to me. And the Holy Spirit said to me, why are you so ungrateful? And as I began to think about that and focus on what the Lord was saying and pray about it, because I was not happy, I realized that he was allowing me to do everything that I've always wanted to do in full-time ministry. I had the great privilege of dedicating people's children to God. The great privilege of baptizing people, of counseling people in need, of praying with people, of preaching and teaching and leading worship. And the truth is, I loved every minute of it. I loved my job. But I didn't see shoveling snow as a part of that ministry. It, to me, it was just something that needed to be done. And in my mind at the time, it was getting in the way of the real ministry. But as I focused on what God was saying, I realized that shoveling snow was just another way that he was allowing me to minister to people. And believe it or not, I began to find joy even shoveling mountains of snow around the church by myself. And of course, I look back now and I realize that doing all of that ministry as the lone pastor at the church was preparing me for planting a new church in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. I absolutely love being a pastor. And when your passion and your job come together, for any of you who have experienced that, there's nothing better. That doesn't mean it's always easy, but as long as I keep my focus on him and not on the circumstances I'm in that I've, at any given time, there's joy in my labor. You see, I wouldn't necessarily have fun if I had to go out today and shovel snow. But I can still have joy in my labor because I realize what is happening when I'm engaged in it is bigger than me as long as I'm focused on him. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a bigger picture. So let's talk about joy because the truth is we all have times in life when it's easy to be full of joy. It's easy to be happy. And there are other times in life when it's not so easy to be joyful. We can be going about our lives as happy as we can be and something happens all of a sudden and happiness goes right out the window, right? So let's turn to 1 Peter, if you brought your Bibles, or I think we'll have it on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll read verses 3 through 9. We're going to talk about true joy, inexpressible, glorious joy. Scripture says unspeakable joy. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Now just pause there a moment. When Peter and Paul wrote about an inheritance for the people of God, you have to understand that their background, their understanding of Scripture at the time was of the Old Testament writings. And so when Peter understood that Abraham was promised an inheritance, the land of Canaan, that promise was a fundamental part of Old Testament theology at the time. And so any good Jewish person in that era understood what it meant to have a godly inheritance. But here... Peter, now having encountered Christ, is writing about our future godly inheritance, and he's contrasting it with the inheritance of the Old Testament, which everyone not only understood in that day, but also knew that it was corruptible. The old inheritance could, could perish, spoil, and fade, but the inheritance we have through the resurrection of Christ can never perish, spoil, or fade. So he's explaining 
the reason for our joy as we look forward to our future inheritance. And he's saying it in a way that everyone can understand how much better this new inheritance in Christ is compared to the old inheritance before Christ. Okay? So let's continue. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And the Greek word for shielded in verse 5 is a really cool word. It means to protect by military guard or to prevent hostile invasion. Okay? So not only do we have an inheritance coming that can never perish, spoil, or fade, but in the meantime, our Father in heaven is not only safeguarding this inheritance for us, he's also safeguarding us. He's protecting us in this present life until we receive our new inheritance, either by passing on from this life to the next or when Christ returns to the earth to reclaim his creation, which is what I'm voting for, by the way. Okay? So the news for us just keeps getting better and better in this passage. These are great reasons, by the way, for Christians to have joy, as Peter says in verse 6. In all this, what we just read, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And the King James and American Standard Versions call this joy, joy unspeakable. That's the joy that I want. I want inexpressible joy. I want unspeakable joy in my life. I don't, I don't want my joy to be predicated upon my circumstances at any given time. Do you know what I mean? There is a deeper, more sustaining joy that resides in those that can answer these three questions concerning true joy. What is it? Where do I find it? And how do I get it? Okay? What is it? Where do I find it? And how do I get it? So let's answer those three questions this morning in our, in our last 15 minutes or so. First, what is it? What is true joy? Well, first of all, I'll tell you what it, what it isn't. True joy is not an emotional state. It's easy for me to identify happiness with life circumstances. I think most of us do that at times. I have this $20 fishing rod, but if I had the $120 fishing rod, catching fish would be even more fun. So I reason that Rob having fun equals joyful Rob. So I buy the $120 fishing rod because it makes me happy. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with doing something that makes us happy, which is in part why I have so many fishing rods. But the moment we allow the emotional high that we get from buying something new or getting the promotion that we've been after or eating the piece of cake that's been in the fridge all day waiting for us, when we allow those emotional feelings to define our spiritual state, we've gotten off track. Okay? Happiness is a feeling based on circumstances. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit of God based on the blessed hope of our salvation. Two very different things. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Okay? Joy is not an emotional state. It is a fruit of the Spirit of God that 
resides in us based on the hope we have in our salvation in Christ. And in fact, it's not even our joy that resides in us. It's the joy of the Lord. It's his joy residing in us, okay? Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. He made this statement, Nehemiah did, to Jewish exiles. They had been in exile under Babylonian rule. Not a fun, fun life. And then the Persians came along and, and took over and absorbed all of the territories and all of the people and slaves and such of the Babylonians. So here they are under Persian rule. Ne- Nehemiah writes, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Because at that moment, God was once again, once again, restoring and saving his people, allowing them to go back to their homeland. And in their salvation, Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's the same for us today. The joy of the Lord resides in us based on the righteousness that he gives through our salvation. Okay? Proverbs 10.28 says, The prospect of the righteous is joy, but the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. And remember 1 Peter 1.8. We read it. It says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So once again, what is true joy? True joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a gift from God that's based on the hope we have in our salvation, okay? It is not an emotion. Joy is knowing that no matter what happens in the world, whether Iran and North Korea get nuclear weapons or not, whether the recession gets better or worse, whether your life turns out the way you thought it would or not, if you're a follower of Christ, the rest of your story has already been written, and it says you win, You have an inheritance that is locked up in a place more secure than any bank vault and it's being guarded in heaven even as the Father watches over you here on earth. That is true joy, that knowledge. The hope of our salvation that is incorruptible and secure and resides deep in our spirit, okay? Second question, where do I find it? Well, first, let's look at where we don't find it. Joy, true joy, is not found in money or material things. I agree that money can alleviate a lot of unhappiness in our lives. It's true. But it cannot make you happy. I don't know how many of you remember Larry Burkett. He was the sort of Christian financial guru before Dave Ramsey came along. And Larry's passed away now. I was listening to his program one day. And (laughs) he was interviewing another financial guy. And I don't remember who it was. And Larry, they were talking about materialism, and Larry said, you know, you can be poor and miserable, and you can be rich and miserable. And the guy said, well, that's true, Larry, but at least if you're rich and miserable, you've got some options. I thought that was really funny, but it's true. You know, I'm not going to pretend that money doesn't matter at all in this life. It does. Maybe if you live in an igloo and you subsistence fish, it doesn't. But for the rest of us in the world, money matters. It helps us get along in the world. But the point is that it is not, nor will it ever be, a true source of joy. Material things are not a true source of joy. So where do I find true joy? The same place we find our hope. We talked about last week. True joy is found in the presence of God. In Luke chapter 1, my wife was reading it this morning, we read about Mary getting a visit from the angel Gabriel. She was told that she would be the mother of the Savior of the world. How's that for some news? I mean, you're, you're hopping along, you know, going to get married. <laughs> By the way, 
you're going to have the Savior of the world. That's kind of amazing. She was supposed to give him the name Jesus. And she's got this information. And she's really excited. And so she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth had also recently found out she was with child, who turns out to be John the Baptist. Luke says that when Mary walked into the room where Elizabeth was, Elizabeth's baby leaped for joy inside of her womb. And then Elizabeth, and the, and the Bible says that she was filled with the Holy Spirit when she said this to Mary. So it has to be true. She said to Mary, What an honor this is that the mother of my Lord should visit me. When you came in and greeted me, my baby leaped for joy. Now think about that. This wouldn't be in the Bible if it wasn't significant. This wasn't like the baby kicked and, and Elizabeth thought, wow, that's amazing. This has been recorded for all of time for us to read. It's a significant point. The moment Jesus entered the room, even though he was only a baby in his mother's womb, John the Baptist, also a, a baby in the womb, was filled with joy. That's the powerful and undeniable presence of God. Even as a baby, unborn, the effect he had on other people. And it's only in the presence of Jesus Christ that we can experience true joy. Acts 2.28 says, You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Psalm 21.6 and 7 says, Surely you have granted him unending blessings and made him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, though the un through the unfailing love of the Most High, he will not be shaken. Okay, so what is joy? What is true joy? It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a gift from God. Based on our hope we have in salvation. Where do I find it? In his presence. And the third question, how do I get it? Well, first of all, we don't earn it. Okay? Jesus never commanded us in the Bible to pray and read the scriptures every day. Does the word say that we should? Yes. Does Jesus want us to? Of course he does. It's the difference between legislation and motivation. Okay? Do we do what's right because it's the law, because it's a rule? Or do we do what's right because we love God? Do you read the Bible and pray every day because it's a religious habit, it's a routine, it's just what we do in the morning? Or do you read the Bible and pray every day because you can't resist the closeness of his presence that we can only experience when we commune with him? Is it legislation or is it motivation? Don't get me wrong. Rules are good, okay? They provide structure and sometimes they provide motivation. Growing up in my parents' house, I always knew the rules. And I knew the consequences if I didn't follow the rules. That was generally motivation enough for me to follow the rules. And that isn't a bad thing. There were occasions, however, when I was known to deviate slightly from the rules. Sometimes I did things that I knew I wasn't supposed to, and usually I didn't need my parents to intervene in terms of consequences or punishment because I usually suffered the consequences by my own hand. I'd get hurt or do something some other way that would cause me problems because of my own poor decisions. It's good to have rules and structure. My dad went out when I was a teenager, and he bought a new boat, this beautiful, brand-new boat. We'd never had a boat before. This was a big deal. And he made us all go to NC State University, North Carolina State, and go through this boating course, the whole family. 
And so we went through and we all got certified and it lowered our insurance rates or something. But I knew more about boats as a 16-year-old kid at that point than most people do, even though I'd never been in one. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, never owned one. And so we would take the boat out and dad was real particular about the boat. And he's, dad's always been a really good steward of stuff. He t- takes care of his stuff. He's passed that on to me and I appreciate that. But we were kids and so we weren't really allowed to just you know, drive the boat. I mean, unless he was there, we weren't allowed to take the boat out on our own. Certainly I was 16, 15, 16 years old, but I went to work one morning in the summer. I worked for this guy who wasn't really much older than me. He's in his twenties and we, he loved boats and he knew my family had just bought a new boat and my mom and dad were gone on vacation somewhere. And my friend said, you know, it's really hot. We were brick. I was a laborer for a brick Mason crew carrying bricks and mortar all day, you know, the grunt work. And he said, man, it's hot. And he just kept talking about it. And he said, you know, it would be great. And I said, what? He said, if we'd left a little early and took your parents' boat out to the lake. I said, that would be great. And I would die if I did that, if my parents found out. So it's not going to happen, Richard. And he wouldn't let up. He kept on me all afternoon. And finally, it got the better of me. And I said, okay. So we went home. And I'm a nervous wreck. But I, I... Gone through the process with my dad a hundred times. I knew how to do it. So I was actually so nervous, I took a piece of chalk, went in the garage, and I drew circles around the tires so I could put it back in the exact same spot. I checked the levels of the gas and the oil. I had it all figured out. We had this big conversion van, this big Ford conversion van. I hooked the thing up, and I, me and my buddy, and off we go. I take the boat to the lake. You know what? We get in the, this is a true story. We got in the water. And I cranked that boat up, and I was starting to feel a little loose. I'm like, this is going to be great. And I backed that boat off the trailer, and we didn't so much as get a quarter of a mile out into the lake, and the sky turned jet black, and it began to thunder and lightning. And he said, let's just beach the boat. It'll pass over. I said, shut up. This is judgment. We're going to die if we stay out here. I was so overwhelmed with guilt at that moment that I knew I had to turn around. And he said, why don't we just, I said, be quiet. We're leaving. So I turned the boat around. I drove that thing straight back to the dock, put it back on the trailer, and we went home. And I put it all back and dried it off and made it all perfect. And you know, I never did say anything to my parents, but it must have been, it must have been 15 years later. I don't know, we were sitting out to dinner one night. And no one knew anything. It was just me and my friend. And my dad said something to me about taking the boat out while they were gone on vacation. I said, how in the world did you know about that? He said, I just know. <laughs> he never did anything to me about it. But you know what? It's, that was less than enough for me. Rules are good, and they give us motivation for life. Structure is good, okay? The greatest set of rules of all time were written by God. The Ten Commandments. But what's the greatest commandment? Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 38 says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. First Peter says that love covers a multitude of sins. Under the old covenant, the law was written on stone tablets. Under the new covenant, the law is written on our hearts. It's the law of grace and love. Jeremiah 31 talks about it. It says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. 
This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So what moves you? Is it legislation? Is it a set of rules? Or is it motivation? The love of Christ. You see, true joy is found in his presence, but you can be in his presence and not engage with him at all. You can stand in the greatest worship service of all time in the presence of God and not feel a thing or respond to him in any way because we have to make an effort motivated by love for the Father to connect with him. True joy is experienced when we connect with God. John 3, 27 through 29, John's disciples were asking him about Jesus showing up on the scene and baptizing people. They were a little jealous. And he replied, John said, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. In verse 29, the friend he's talking about was full of anticipation. He waited and listened for the bridegroom, but joy came when he heard the bridegroom's voice. The moment there's a connection, there was joy. You see, Psalm 94, 18 and 19 says, When I said my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Luke 24, 51 through 53, while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Psalm 30, 10 through 12, hear, Lord, and be merciful to me, Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. When there's interaction with God, when we connect with God, the gift of his joy is received. We take advantage of the joy he offers when we connect with him, okay? So think all this in terms of a relationship. Love in a marriage is not an emotion. It's a real commitment. It's a knowledge of who she is to me and who I am to her. I find it in her presence when I'm with her. I experience it when I connect with her. It's the same thing with joy. I've had periods in my life when I wasn't connecting with God. I, I was in church faithfully. I paid my tithe and then some. I participated in worship. I did all of the right things outwardly, but I was missing God. I wasn't taking the time and energy to really connect with Him. And the interesting thing is, I can look back now and see that during those times in my life, I was largely devoid of joy. I may have had happy moments, but true joy, that deep abiding joy that we're talking about, that I get when I connect with God, was missing. And that's not a good place for us to be. So how do we get joy? By connecting with God. And in closing now, I'm just going to answer one more question. How do we connect with him? It's simple, but it requires effort. When we worship him, not just standing in a worship service or listening to worship music, doesn't have to involve music. But it's when we engage with worship, when we engage, when we actively worship God. We engage our minds and our hearts in worship. That's a connection. When we study his word, not just I have to read another chapter today. But when we make the effort and take the time to find out what his word is saying to us, when we ask him to reveal his word 
to us. And then we meditate on that. There's a connection with the Lord. And when we pray and we seek him out, not just a laundry list of things we want, like he's, you know, the great Santa Claus in the sky. It's, Lord, I must hear your voice in my life today. Speak to me. Guide my thoughts. Direct my path. Show me your way for my life today. Because when we seek him, he connects with us. That's what he says in his word. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. We connect with God when we seek God. Okay? We connect with him when we seek him. And we must connect with him to have true joy in our lives. All right? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I know that sometimes trouble can descend on us like a hurricane. And some of you may be in real crisis today and it's stealing your joy. I know some of you have lost loved ones recently. Some of you are hurting for family and friends that are warring against the gates of hell. Some of you have had turmoil come on you that you didn't invite or ask for, but I'm here to tell you that even in the midst of the worst kind of trouble, when there seems to be no way out and no answer in sight, you cannot escape the love of Christ. And in His presence there is joy unspeakable. All we have to do is seek Him. Make a connection as He reveals Himself to us. So I just want to ask you today first, is there anyone here today, if there is, that would say, you know, I need to make a connection with God. I need to give my heart to the Lord. Maybe you've done that before and you need to dedicate yourself, your life to Him all over again. That's fine. I've done that many times in my life. And maybe you've never done it before. Either way, I won't call anyone forward today. I'm not going to recognize you publicly, but I need to know if there's anyone that needs to pray this prayer. And if so, we'll all pray it together. So for just a moment or two, is there anyone here that says, yes, you know what? I'd like to make that connection with God. I'd like to say, yeah, I want to pray a prayer of dedication. Would you lift your hand for just a moment? You can put it right back down. Yep. Anyone else? Anybody else? It's when we connect with him that we experience that true joy and fulfillment. But we have to do our part. He's always calling his people. Arms open. Is there anyone else today that would like to say, yeah, I want to pray that prayer of commitment, of dedication? Okay. We're going to pray this simple prayer as we do every week. And I'm going to ask all of you, if you would, to just repeat it out loud after me. And then we're going to close in another prayer together briefly. Would you pray with me? Lord, I admit to you today that I've sinned in my life. And I believe that you gave up your life for me so that I could be forgiven for my sins and have eternal life. So I'm asking you now to forgive me for all my sin. Save me and make me new. And I ask you now, Jesus, to be Lord over my life and live in me. Then I commit to you now to follow you the rest of my life. And with our heads still bowed, if there's anybody here today who needs a healthy serving of joy in your life, you may be down because of a struggle in your own life or it may be that you're hurting for someone else. If either of those applies to you and it's stealing your joy, 
in a moment I'm going to ask you to raise your hand but before you do I want you to know that I'm going to ask those around you to look up if you raise your hand and just put a hand on your shoulder and we're going to pray a closing prayer together that I will lead okay that's very scriptural the word tells us to bear one another's burdens and pray for each other it's the right thing to do so if you're carrying some kind of hardship for yourself or for someone else today and you need the joy of the Lord in your life for yourself, for this other person, would you raise your hand and keep it up for just a moment? And we're closing right now. Yep. Are there others? Yep. Are there others? Please just keep your hands up for a moment. And more. Yep. Anybody else? Yep. Okay. If you didn't raise your hand, would you please look up at these folks raising their hands, one in the back and two up front here. I'd just like to ask you if you wouldn't mind to move to these folks. Just place a hand on them and we're going to pray and agree together for these situations, for these folks in, in closing today, all right? Lord, we desperately need you. As we surrender the circumstances and relationships in our lives to you today, would you restore joy to all of us that have been carrying the heaviness of this world? As we connect with you, as we worship, and, and as we pray and study your word, would you implant unspeakable inexpressible and glorious joy in each one of us that although we may struggle we would also know from deep within that you are there you haven't abandoned us we ask you to move in every situation and every circumstance descend on every relationship Lord and overwhelm the sense of hopelessness with your hope and peace and love and joy and kindness and forbearance and patience the gifts of your spirit that they would be poured out in every life in every moment of difficult hardship Lord that your gifts would supersede and overcome and overwhelm and wash over and fill completely the desperate hopelessness that plagues this world do what only you can do may your love permeate every aspect of our lives and these that we pray for so strengthen us today with your joy, we ask. Refresh us and renew us as we seek you. And we ask all of this in your great and mighty name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Man, we sure do love you, church. You are family, and it is wonderful to be here with you today. You're dismissed, and I just want to remind you, next week. Please come, bring some food, bring friends, bring family. We're going to have a great time with the Christmas story and dinner together. See you next week.